0: This morning to Luke, Luke chapter 17. Now, when I go about working out a sermon sermon schedule, I just kind of, you know, look at uh, where we are, what the Lord, what I think the Lord wants us to know. And as I said, I've been working this uh, this series on transformational grace, and and this was the last one. And I never look at the uh, a calendar typically when where, if there are special dates. Well, it just happens that the transformational grace of our Lord Jesus Christ demands our thanks, and it happens to come on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. So we'll just say providence on that one. Um, and it demands our thanks, and that's kind of the whole thrust of the service. Basically, the thrust of the Christian life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are to give thanks for what the Lord has done with us and to us. Now, we're going to look at a couple things and and, and try to grasp the immensity of this task. So if you would, stand with me if you're able, and I will read the Word of God today. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Spirit. Open our eyes that we might see and understand. Fill us, Lord, that we might live, live as people who give you thanks for what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And it came about, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And it came about, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the inspired word of God for us today. Please be seated. Classic story told a man lost in the woods. He's been lost for so long that he finally gets down on his knees and he asks, Lord, will you get me out of here? And he's telling this story to a buddy of his. And the buddy says, well, what did the Lord do? He said, well, the Lord didn't have enough time. A guide came along and showed me the way out. So, you know, sometimes we're just blind to what the Lord does. You know, the person on the house, and the floods are coming. And he said, no, Lord's going to save me. The Lord's going to save me. And he says, uh, well, the, the fire truck comes along. He says, come on, the floods are coming. No, no, the Lord's going to save me. And the water rises, and the boat comes along. He says, no, no, the Lord's going to save me. He's, oh, he's at the peak of his house, and, and the waters rise, and the helicopter comes. He says, no, no, I'm trusting the Lord. And he drowns. You know? And he gets up and sees the Lord. He says, Lord, where were you? He says, well, I sent you a fire truck and a boat and a helicopter. Why didn't you do it? Okay. So often, the things that are playing in front of our eyes that the Lord has done, we don't see. And we fail to give thanks. Now, here you have in Luke kind of a classic illustration of the plight of the people of that time. Now, in context here, Jesus has been in the community, so to speak, in the geographic area, and he has been healing. And we've looked at this in in another gospel, this is about the same time, where he has not been healing, in a sense, for salvation. Often we see, as here in the lepers uh, instance, that this individual was saved. Jesus has simply been in the geographic area, in the hills, healing as as a demonstration that he is the Messiah. So in reality, disease in these communities ceased to be. People who were crippled ceased to be. People who were possessed by demons ceased to be simply because Jesus came into that area for a period of time and healed everybody that they brought to him. Everybody that they brought to him. Well, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a certain village, and there are ten leprous men meet him, and it says they meet him at a distance. Now, you remember, let's have a quick review uh, biblically of leprosy. Leprosy was that disease that if I was assumed to have leprosy, or if I had leprosy and you touched me, then you were assumed to have leprosy. And it wasn't until you went to the chief priest, who basically was the CDC of the day, uh, Center for Disease Control, and he pronounced you clean, then you were, it was determined that you did not have it. Up until that point, the simple fact that you touched me meant that you had leprosy. And leprosy was such a terrible disease. There was no cure for leprosy other than Jesus Christ. Today we understand leprosy as Hansen's disease, and it is a bacterial uh, infection. And as most infections bring pain, leprosy brings the lack of pain. It is an anesthetizing disease. So what it does is it affects the nerves to the point that you do not feel things, so if you have leprosy, and it usually starts out here on your extremities, you might lose a fingernail and not know about it because it doesn't hurt, because those nerves have become dead because of the disease. Most lepers die of secondary causes. They don't die of leprosy. They die of the infections that they get because of leprosy. It eats away at the nerve endings. It eats away at the skin. Often they become deformed. Their skin begins to swell. They speak in a raspy type of voice because it begins to affect the larynx. Uh, oftentimes uh, it will show up on, on their face it, with swelling, and it may affect their eyes. Uh, there are stories of people who you know, have leprosy, and they wash their face on a regular basis, and they don't know how hot the water is. And it burns their hands and it burns their face. And in fact, it causes blindness because they just don't know how hot the water is. They can't feel it anymore. In this day, you had to walk around. If you had leprosy, you had to cover your top lip with your hand or some other item. And if somebody came by, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Because it just wasn't a disease but it was viewed as an entire spiritual uh, issue. That's why you went to the priests to determine if you were healed or not. And that goes back to uh, Deuteronomy or Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 where it lays out a very long prescription of all the things that are involved in declaring someone free from leprosy. Free from leprosy. And remember... If you were a leper, you had to go outside the city gates. No longer could you stay within the city. No longer could you go to the synagogue and worship. No longer could you hang out with your friends or with your family. No longer could you go to work. The only people you could spend time with were other lepers. And then, of course, was Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur. If you remember, the the images of Ben-Hur and and taking food out to his mother and sister. Uh, And they were in the caves, and that was the leper colony. That was pretty much what it was like. They all lived outside of town. They could come to the gates, around the gates, and beg, but you could not touch them. You had to stay far away from them. It was misery. It was not a quick death. It was a slow death of years of struggle and years of isolation think about it not being able to touch anybody except somebody else with the same disease that you had for years and years and years well here they are 10 leprous men they stood at a distance jesus is over there and they yell out to him jesus master have mercy on us what did they not ask for healing they asked for mercy Now, we see in the Old Testament there are places where God actually curses people with leprosy for their disobedience. Often, I think it's Naaman, the king, uh, gets cursed because he is uh, disobedient to God. And the servant girl comes up and says, well, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Or is it the prophet? I'm blanking here. Go wash in the Jordan. He says, I don't go wash in the Jordan. I'm the king. He says, go wash in the Jordan. When he washes in the Jordan, he's cleansed, Okay. So, often it was seen as something that people were cursed with, as well as a disease. So, he's, they cry out for mercy, have mercy on us, Jesus. Now, when he saw them, he says, verse 14, Go and show yourselves to the priests. Now in other places we see Jesus in the early portions of Mark early chapter uh, chapter 1 of Mark he reaches over and moved by compassion he touches the lepers and heals them okay now remember you weren't you weren't supposed to touch a leper but that didn't stop Jesus and he reaches out and touches them and they are healed in an instant well he doesn't mention anything about healing here he just says and doesn't touch them he just says go and show yourself to the priest now remember the priest Were the Center for Disease Control, they would say whether the individuals had been healed or not. So we make some assumption that they figured if Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, and this is the guy that we've heard so much about working in the hill country, healing all these people, that something must going to be happening. So they all 10 headed off to the priest. Now remember, it is an anesthetizing disease. You begin to lack feeling in things. You can imagine, here are these ten guys who have probably been together for years, and they're off on their way to show themselves to the priest. And they don't know what's happening, because they can't feel. Remember, they can't feel. And it came about, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, what would have happened if one said, well, you're not going to heal me? you know? Then I'm not going down to the priest, because if I go to the priest, he's just going to reinforce that I'm a leper. Well... See, it was in the process of going that the healing came upon them. And you can imagine these ten guys going down the road, talking amongst themselves in this kind of raspy voice because it's affected their larynx, and, and one looks at the other and goes, Look, look at your face! Isn't that classic, did anybody ever say, look at your face, Rand? No, okay, look at your face. You're healed. And they begin to look at one another and tear off the rags that are upon their hands. And their hands are no longer gnarled, or maybe their fingers have been restored. And they see that they have been healed as they were going to the priest. As they were going to the priest. Now, one of them, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice. Perhaps in the first time in ten years, the man could yell. No longer was his voice raspy. No longer was it affected by the disease. No longer was it his vocal cords numb from the disease, but he could yell out, and he went back and fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And what was he? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. Now, what do we know about Samaritans? Well, there were people from the north. They were what the Jews called half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. Okay, And they did their own thing up there, and the Jews would literally walk around Samaria rather than walk through Samaria. They hated the Samaritans. But we see Samaritans figuring quite prominently in the things of Scripture. The good Samaritans. You know, the Jewish guys pass by the man who has been beat. Well, they've got places to go. I don't want to defile myself. I'm on the way to the temple. The Samaritan takes the time, spends his own money, puts him on his own mule, takes him to the uh, inn, says, I'll come back and pay more. Okay. Jesus often uses this, this divide between Jews and Samaritans really to raise it into the Jews' face and say, look at what these people do. Now jump to 18 was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner Alos Genus is the Greek another race he doesn't call him a samaritan again he calls him another race he is highlighting this fact this divide and and from this you know it's it's terrible to make the jump without more evidence but this is kind of implicit here from this i'm going to say the other 9 were jews And this was the only one who wasn't a Jew. And he comes back with a loud voice, praising God, throwing himself at the feet of the one who healed him, glorifying God. And Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? And this is a rhetorical question, because he knows there were ten cleansed. But he's making a point to the larger crowd. Literally, it says, but the other nine, they're aware they are where? Now, what did the other nine do? Imagine, you've been a leper for 10 years, 15 years. This, one year, this doesn't really matter. You're healed suddenly. Do you go all the way to the priest? Or do you begin to dance and to run and kiss your wife, who you've not seen, been able to touch in years, or go hug your children, or go back to your parents' home? What do you do? You've got all these emotions and all these thoughts running through your mind. You have been suddenly released from a disease that isolated you. You have been released from a disease that was darkness, that you were bound to by by the chains of culture and society. You were isolated. You could not be involved in anything else. And suddenly you have been healed. What do you do? I I don't know. Who knows what these other nine did? But only one, a Samaritan, a man of another race, comes back. To give praises to God. See, he knew that it was not just physical healing that he needed. It was much more than that. There was something that this man Jesus did. Something that he had. He was the son of God. He says, I've got to go back and give praises because only God can do these things. Only God can heal in such a fantastic way. Perhaps the other nine, you know, they got their healing and they were gone. And that's all that they wanted from Jesus. about those people in the mountains, in the hills, when Jesus came and fed them, fed the 5,000? I remember that was just the men. And then he got on a, a boat and went across the sea and they all went around uh, to meet him at the other side. Why? Because they had free food. And they wanted some more free food. Maybe they wanted a, more, a greater show of greater miracles. The Pharisees often would say, Okay, Jesus, do a miracle and we'll believe. See, some people just want that from Jesus. They want their small portion of life just to be better. They want that maybe they have a particular care. Okay, I'll come to Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with this Jesus if he deals with this portion of my life. But let's not talk about the rest of life. Okay, I want him to save me. I don't want him to be my Lord. Well, one of these lepers understood that. He said, I want him. He has saved me. He has healed me. He has brought me back from isolation. He has given me a future and a hope. And I come back to praise him because he is God. And that is what we do when the Lord does a miracle in our lives. I was walking my dog a couple weeks ago out on the greenway in Madison. Here we are. You know, I don't have him on a leash. He's just running up and back and comes when I call him. And up ahead is a woman and two boys about seven years old or so and you know they see this dog and they're all about him and he's making friends with the dog and I come up and and uh, I, I look at the woman and and so I strike up a little conversation and as she turns around I see she has a sweatshirt on and on this sweatshirt she has an outline of the uh, of the country of Russia on it and an arrow pointing to this little obscure Uh, portion out in in the Urals and it has babies written on it so what could I assume from that sweatshirt she had adopted those two boys from Russia so that's what I asked I said did you get your two boys from Russia she said yeah I said, how old were they when you got them? And said, oh, just, you know, 11 months. And she went on and began to tell me all the, the story about the struggles of, of getting up to that point and having to travel over there um, twice. And, and I said, well, yeah, to, to get the boys. I said, well, I've been there and I understand what the culture's like. And, and, and she said, oh, I went into the orphanage, you know, where the boys were. And it just broke my heart. And I said, I understand. Been to those orphanages. And it's, it's awful. You walk in, and as soon as the kids see you, they want you. They want to hug you. They want to sit on your lap. They want to talk to you. And, and they're jabbling on in, in Russian. Unless you understand Russian, you don't know it, but they're talking anyway. And, and she said, I, it just broke my heart to see these kids. And I said, but you got two, didn't you? She said, yeah, I got two. And I began to ask her questions about, did you ever think what that really meant to those boys? The changes that have come upon them because of what you have done. You went over to a country that wasn't yours. You went to an orphanage that was a place basically of darkness. You went and found two boys that were not yours and you adopted them and gave them, what, new life, new name new home, new everything. I said, and, and she she grasped this a little bit, and I said, do you think that that sometime the boys will realize this? And she says, well, you know, maybe down the road, when they're a little bit older, they'll come to realize the difference in their life because of what, you know, she and her, her husband had done. And then, by this time she knew I was a preacher, I turned a corner, and I said, well, you know, that's what our... Our Lord does for us. He comes and gets us when we're in darkness. When we don't have a name. When we don't have a family. When we are bound by the chains of sin. He comes and he calls us and gives us a new name. And gives us a new family. And gives us an inheritance. And gives us a future and a hope. And we are forever changed. And and this was all, you know, this was new to her. And I said, you know, we're Given these things. And our response should be what? What was the response the leper should have? Remember? They were isolated. They were forever lost. These two boys. If she would not have gone over there. Her and her husband. And found them. Sought them out. And brought them out of that. Do you know what their life would have been like? What their chances of success would have been? What their hope for happiness. Hope even to hear the gospel. Would have been slim to none. But yet she has brought them, given them a new home, a new name, an inheritance that they did not have. And the Lord does the same thing for us. He comes and finds us when we're in darkness. He comes and finds us when we are his enemies. When we are haters of God, that is when Jesus Christ died for us. That is when the Lord comes for us and says, you belong to me. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to make you my child. I'm going to give you a new home, a new family. I'm going to give you an inheritance that never fades. I'm going to give you a future and a hope. That demands our thanks. And that is so beyond what we can understand. We think, how can I thank the Lord for a life that is forever changed? Not just in this lifetime, but for all eternity. Our lives have been ever changed because of his grace. It demands our thanks each and every day. Each and every day. We should think how grateful I am that the Lord came and got me. It wasn't because I was so special. It was simply because of his fantastic love for us. Let's pray. how great the Father's love for us. So far beyond all measure that he should count a wretch like us his treasure. Lord, so often we say, thank you for small things done for us. Thank you for a discount at the Store. Thank you when our neighbor cuts the grass for us. But you have given your son for us. He gave his life, died on the cross, and shed his blood that we might be forgiven of sin that would forever separate us from your presence. You have reached out to us, we who have offended you with our sin, and you have made a way for us to come back into your presence. Lord, Thank you. Thank you. Like the leper, cry out with a loud voice, Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. For you are God, and we are not. Remind us, Lord, that it is your work that has accomplished this. And we are called to give our lives as a living sacrifice for you, holy and blameless, that in all that we do, you might be seen and heard with our praises and our thanks. Lord, for the salvation that has come to my life as an individual, knowing what I was like before, lost, bound by the chains of sin, I thank you, Lord. For this body of believers that you have brought together, I thank you, Lord, for their many gifts, for their their many abilities, for the maturity of faith that they have, I thank you, Lord. For the healing that comes with your power, I thank you, Lord. For your steadfast love and mercy, I thank you, Lord. Oh, the list could go on and on and on. Lord, but we offer our lives as living sacrifices. That in the living out of this grace that you have bestowed upon us, you might see our thanks. That you might know our hearts, as imperfect as they are, that we recognize that we were your enemies. That we hated you, that we were bound by the chains of sin, that we were lost in darkness, but you came and found us and brought us out and made us your children. And Lord, for that we give you thanks. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. 387 is our hymn. Let's stand as we sing 387.